So our scripture reading for this morning service is taken from Joshua chapter 1, the sixth book of the Bible. We're going to open chapter 1 and read the first nine verses. And as you do, I just want to share a few words. Um, I know that the psalm that was preached on uh, last week was Psalm 27, and I'm also preaching on that song again today. I did not know that until I sent my liturgy in, but that's okay. I, I know that my colleague did a wonderful job with the psalm. Um, but there's many riches to be pulled from a psalm of David or any of the psalms, so um, I hope that you find it still very encouraging. But secondly, the, the theme that we are focusing is the theme of fear. And I just want to share with you as we open up our Bibles in Joshua, the words do not be afraid are going to come up there. It's one of the most common prohibitions in the Bible. I don't know if you know that. One of the most common prohibitions in the Bible that God gives to his people is the call not to be afraid. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. Fear not. He says that. God the Father says that. The Son says that. Angels say that as representatives of God. God does not want his people. This is found over 100 times in Scripture. God does not want his people to be a people of fear. So in that connection, we reach the book of Joshua where God has to encourage Joshua Um, not to be afraid as they seek to take over the land of Canaan. And so we read Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Here's the focus. I, have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So in connection to that scripture reading and as our text for this morning, I would like to read again Psalm 27. read the full psalm this morning. This is a psalm of David, 
A beautiful Psalm of David, let us read this together. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret place of his tabernacle he shall hide me, he shall set me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy also upon me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not leave me or forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a smooth path because of my enemies. Do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me and such as breathe out violence. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. This is the word of God. So loved ones in our Lord Jesus Christ, this morning as I shared with you, we're going to address the topic or the theme or the emotion of fear. And the fear that we are talking about is not the fear that the psalmist desires of us to have in other psalms, which is the fear of the Lord. That is a proper and a righteous fear that God's children should have. In fact, we read in Psalm 19 that the fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. Or in Proverbs 1, verse 7, we read, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or the beginning of wisdom. Such fear should be part of our life. It's a reverent, holy fear of God. And neither am I addressing this morning the fear that we talk about in, in imminent danger, the, the flight and fright fear, the, 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 sorry, the flight and, and fight fear, the fear that your sympathetic nervous system kind of kicks into overdrive in the face of danger and, and you run or, or you fight. We're not particularly addressing that type of fear either. Now what I'm talking about is the fear and anxiety we have on this side of eternity that is often unknown to us. It's a fear of the future, of what's going to happen in contexts that we're unsure about. It's the fear and anxiety that cripple us and cripple the joy out of our life or stretch us or, 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 or take the joy, the peace, the, the confidence, the assurance that we have in Christ and, 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 and takes that from us, that type of fear. One theologian put it this way, it says, he said, it often seems that fear has invaded every part of our being to such a degree that we no longer know what it 
life without fear would feel like. He says, there always seems to be something to fear, something within us or around us, something visible or invisible, something in ourselves, in others, even in God. There never seems to be a totally free fear moment. Fear always seems to be there, an omnipresent force that we cannot shake off. Often fear has penetrated our inner selves so deeply that it controls us, whether you're aware of it or not. Most of our choices and decisions are based on fear, he says. I wonder if you agree with him. You see, fear that we're talking about this morning is often precipitated by an unending list of what-if questions. And I share some of these questions with you this morning, not as triggers, because I know some of us struggle with anxiety, some of us struggle with fear, but actually to provide a window into the fears that so many of us deal with daily in order to understand what the gospel has to say in response to those fears. It's the what if I do not find a house, a place to rent, a job, a spouse? What if I do not get into university or college or find work in my field? What if I get fired, get sick, or get into an accident? What if I lose my friends, my child, my children, my marriage dissolves? What if war breaks out and a rogue state decides to exert its power through nuclear missiles? What if I contact the coronavirus and finish my days on a ventilator or get cancer or suffer a heart attack? What if I have to finish my days in unparalleled pain? What if tomorrow the stock market crashes? If I lose my investments, my business, my house, my freedom, what if I'm in prison for my faith? What if someone steals my money, breaks into my home, and violates my children? What if my children do not find their hope in Jesus and desert him? What if ultimately I stand before the throne of Christ and he says, I do not know you? We're talking about those kinds of fears. And there are many. In fact, I could continue with that list. And there are also diagnosed fears and anxieties, we realize. The diagnosed fear of general anxiety disorder, panic attacks, phobia, PTSD, and depression. We live in an age of fear. And all of this fear that I just shared right now and and these illnesses have the power to enslave us, the bondage to cripple us. And today I need to tell you that I do not come to you as a professional counselor. And some of the fears that I mentioned already in here, especially the disorders around anxiety, need professional help and counseling. But I do come to you as a pastor who is not prepared to hand over all the counsel around fear and anxiety to professional help. Because I think it must be addressed also from the pulpit, and I would argue primarily from the pulpit. Because as a church, we need to stand together in search of the truth from Scripture and to hear the voice of God who through Jesus addresses our fears. We need to remember that the Holy Spirit ultimately is the doctor of our souls and he mends and restores hope and confidence in an age of fear. So so for the next two services, and I have three going on in mercy, but we're going to do only two with you today. For the next two services, we're going to mine the scriptures to see what it says about fear. Actually, we're going to look not at what it says ultimately about fear, but at what it says about trust. 
about confidence, about courage, about hope in the everlasting arms of our Savior. That's where we're going to, to resonate and hopefully resonate deeply in because that's where the truth is found in the person of Jesus Christ who comes to us and says, do not be afraid. So our theme for this morning is no longer slaves to fear. Remember the Lord is your refuge. No longer slaves to fear, taken from Psalm 27. Remember the Lord is your refuge. That's taken from the psalm. You see, when the Lord is our refuge, there's three things that we can be confident about. The first thing is this, that we can be confident in God's power. It's an omnipresent power. It's an omnipotent force. We can be confident even during his absence, which David addresses. And we can be confident of his goodness. Let's begin with his power. We can be confident in an age of fear when the Lord is our refuge because we can be confident in his power. Now maybe you learned last week already that when we open the book of Psalms, we're not often given autobiographical information about the life or the context of where the psalm was written. And that's the same with this psalm, of course. We don't know exactly where it was written or what time. We know David wrote it. And I think this is important for us because there are, there are truths that transcend cultures and times that, that we can draw from the Psalms that apply to God's people today in the 21st century. But we know for sure, if we read the life story of David, and we have so much of his life story in Scripture, that David often faced the potential for great fear. He had, unfortunately, many enemies, and he had, was often in battle. His first enemy was Saul, who chased him around the wilderness um, for about four years, they think, trying to kill him. And then his own son rises up and tries to kill him. And he was on the loose again. And then the Philistines were a constant nemesis to the, to the people of Israel, and they were constantly at war with David. And so David was constantly dealing with a, a barrage of, of, of realities that, that forced him to face death, you could say, all day long. And this fear, this fear of death, you understand, which is what he addresses here in the psalm, is still the greatest fear known to humanity. In fact, I believe that society, when society tries to mask the fear of death without gospel promises, it allows people to live a lie either of the false hope that there is neither a, a life past the grave or that everyone will ultimately go to the heaven of their own choosing. That's how many people face the reality of death. Just quickly on this point, a global research agency called Statista posed this question to our friends in the South. United States, how afraid of you are you of death? That was the question that they posed. I'm not quite sure how large the survey was, but it was quite large. This interested me. This was pre-COVID. I'm not sure if it would change after COVID. Pre-COVID, it said 53% said they were not afraid of dying or not afraid of it at all. 53% of Americans. 70% said they were unsure. 41 said they were somewhat afraid. Only 11% said very afraid. And unless the majority of people who were surveyed were born-again Christians, which I highly doubt, I, I question this graph, this study. I doubt that people, this is another stat, I doubt that people in the U.S. are, more, are four times more concerned about the corruption in government than they are about their own death. That was another stat. Four times more concerned about the corruption 
in Washington. Now, there's reason to be concerned about that. See, I argue that COVID-19 has exposed the reality of people's fears, at least in the West. There are people I know living with unparalleled fear of getting COVID-19 because they fear death. And death is something to be feared if there's a righteous God who will judge all mankind, and there is. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 26 says it's the last enemy to be destroyed. It is an enemy. And so we get this picture of of death and the reality of death and then we open Psalm 27 and David begins the psalm by saying the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And it talks about them trying to destroy his life and he says my heart shall not fear in verse 3. Where where does that confidence come from? He's speaking about enemies who are about to devour him, who want to destroy him. And he says, I am not afraid of them or what they can do to me. Where does that confidence come from? Well, he draws that confidence from the person, from from the Godhead, from the reality of his relationship with God. He strikes three points here on, on, on seeing why he's not afraid. And for him, it's quite simple. This is why I'm not afraid. Because God is my light. Because God is my salvation. And the strength or the stronghold of my life. That's what God is to me. Therefore, I'm not afraid. Each one of these points, this light, the salvation, and the stronghold or refuge, as different translations has it, shows this irreducible reality in the power of who God is. God is light, and light is a position of power when it comes to God. You see, God, by his power, vanquishes the deep shadows of death that threaten his children. So that the psalmist David prior to the psalm can say, even though I walk through the valley of the shadows of death, I Fear no evil. Because God has that power to dispense and dispel that darkness. I think you understand when we talk about darkness in contrast to light, that darkness often intensifies our fears. Do you know that? Children, maybe you know that. See, our battle against fear is often intensified at night. Uh, most children, maybe, maybe children here in Owen Sound are impervious to this or don't feel this pain or, or suffer this reality, but some of our children actually are afraid of the dark. And they say, Mommy, keep the light on, or you have to put the night light on, or you just sit on the edge of my bed because I'm afraid. It's quite normal. According to one study, the brain becomes more sensitive to threats at night than in the morning. Your brain just works this way. It becomes more sensitive to the threats at night than in the morning. And yet the psalmist says, I am not afraid. And the psalmist in 139 says, even the darkness is as light to you. You're not not pulled away from the dark. You penetrate into the darkness because the darkness is as light to you, God. But we need to move out from just this dark light kind of contrast to the reality that 
David is talking more than about the absence of darkness. He's actually addressing the evil that lurks in a world that has plunged this world into darkness. When we confess that God is light, he's dealing more than just with the darkness that turns when the sun is moved away from the earth or it turns when the when earth revolves around the sun but doesn't, the sunlight doesn't come on the earth. You see, God who is light deals with the fear that evil causes. And therefore, it should be of little surprise to us that Jesus had to come into a world that was dark because of sin and evil and be its light. He came through, he came to break through the darkness that has invaded the world. And Jesus says in John 8 verse 12, I am the light of the world and whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. That's because Jesus broke the chains of darkness that grip our hearts as he descended himself into utter darkness. As the darkness of hell gripped his soul as God's wrath was poured out against him for our sin and our evil. And God, through Christ, broke those chains of darkness for us. This is why we are called children of light because the chains of darkness have been broken. God is light. There's so much power in that. But he's also our salvation, we read. Um, Whom the Lord is my light and my salvation. Now when David is speaking about salvation here, and often in the Old Testament is the same, he's connecting it to a physical safety, protection from enemies, you could say. And David is, but David's looking at a bigger canvas than the sum total of his battles and his struggles. He knows that God has been Israel's salvation from generation to generation. You read the Old Testament and God continually brings his people to safety. It's the God who said to Joshua, be not afraid. Why? Because I am the Lord your God and I will be with you. I will bring you to safety. He's the same God who brings us to ultimate safety, which is the safe place of his eternal habitation, his home, and, and, and therefore God is our salvation. He's also, we read finally, he's our light, he's our salvation, He is our strength, or he's our stronghold. And therefore David says, I do not need to be afraid. When, when, when David is saying the Lord is my stronghold, the Hebrew could be taken as either a place of safety, like a castle or somewhere strong or a rock, or it could be understood as the means to make you safe. Either it's a place of safety or it's the means that brings you into that safety. And, I, and of course, God does both. God provides a place for safety for his children but he knows he can't expect us to get there on our own and he provides the means as well. It would be like me, an illustration here, it would be like me calling to my child who could not swim in the water and pointing to a rock and say, if you just go to that rock, you will be safe. That's not good enough as a parent. No, you jump into the waters to ensure that your child is brought safely to the rock of safety. You could say God jumps into the waters and holds us above the waters and brings us safely to the rock. And I tell you this morning, this is the gospel truth. 
that that rock is ultimately Christ. You see, there is no secure place in all the world than in the security of the arms of your Savior. That is the most secure place you could ever be. He is your stronghold. But you say, well, that's, that's nice for David that he understood all this. I'm blessed to know that David had so much confidence in God that he understood that God was his light and his salvation and his strength even before Christ was revealed to him in person, you could say. I'm glad that he understood this. But you say, in my life, everything is swirling around in my life. I am gripped by fear and anxiety. I have no peace. I, I, I don't have the same confidence as David does. But my question to you this morning in love is, well, where, where do you go for help? When the fears begin to mount and the anxiety begins to take over, where, where do you go? We, we do need help. And so often we put so much confidence in people, in counselors, in doctors, in medicine, and, and demand that they have an answer to all of our fears and anxiety. And yes, God has gifted us with professional help and with medicine to help us address anxiety and fear. I, I understand that. And we understand those gifts to be good for his people as well. Yet the Holy Spirit is telling us and reminding us this morning that ultimately your only refuge will be God himself. That's the ultimate truth. Because he has immeasurable resources to help you, power that you cannot measure or fathom to, to give you the security that you need. The only reason Joshua could be strong and courageous as he faced an, an enemy so great was because the Lord said, I will be with you wherever you go. And I'm Almighty God. It's John Piper who said, the presence of hope in the invincible sovereignty of God drives out our fear. We need to trust, we need to be confident that God has our lives under control. That we do not need to fear tomorrow. This leads us to the second point but what about when life turns difficult and you have the sense that God's not listening to you, that God's not hearing you, that he's somehow absent from your crisis, from your concern, and, and this is where David goes in the psalm. Interestingly, he, he turns to, in verse 7, he says, Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy also upon me and answer me. Verse 9, do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not leave me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. Some people argue because of the struggle that David's facing now in the psalm, asking God not to hide his face, to be near to him, that he could not have written the second part of the psalm. 
How can you begin a psalm with unparalleled confidence in the Lord? Because he is your rock, he is your salvation, he is your light. And then turn in the psalm and say, well, don't, don't hide your face from me. Where are you? But I wonder if this is not the story of your life, as is the story of my life. At times in your life, in your Christian walk, you have these vistas of God's power and God at work in your life. And you feel like you're on the rock of Gibraltar. You are standing strong. You're on Mount Everest. God is in control. And your faith is, is strong. Only to find yourself a week or two later, a month later, in the depth of despair, asking God to help you and wondering where he is. Someone wrote, when fear is barred at the door, it can often find a way way through the window. It seems to come up in so many different places. You see, loved ones, our walk of faith, like David's walk of faith, in the shadows, we would say, in the Old Testament, was tested, and ours will be tested. There will be times when anxiety and fear will mount up like a bear on its back paws, and all that you want to do is run. And I do say that if you do meet a bear on the back paws, maybe you should think about running. But when it comes to these fears that we're talking about that seek to unravel us, we need to understand that maybe God is using them for another purpose, See, David had to come to this ultimate realization again as we do constantly. In fact, we need to do this daily. That in the face of the fears and anxieties of his life, God would not and cannot forsake him. He will not reject him. You see, one of the fears that we deal with on this side of eternity is ultimately the fear of rejection. Someone wrote, most of us experience rejection from someone almost every day. I don't know if that stat's true or not. But we're, we're constantly dealing with the fear of rejection. And David also addresses this reality and this tension point. And he says in verse 10, when my father and my mother forsake me. But that can happen, Sadly. But David comes around in this psalm to realize that no, although that might happen, your friends might forsake you, people may, who have walked close to you may forsake you, that you may fear this reality. David says, the Lord will take care of me. David realizes that God cannot desert his children who he's bound himself in covenant to and still be called their God. This is the, the relationship that we have with God. When God binds himself to us, he realizes, David realizes that God cannot still be God of the covenant and deny this responsibility or, or forego this responsibility. God will care for his children. The New Testament believer says God can't be called our father unless he fulfills the title of being a father perfectly. That's who God is. He will be our father. And yet like everyone, every one of us, even here this morning, and like David when he wrote this 3,000 years ago, he wants proof that God will be there. That God will not desert him or abandon him or forsake him. 
So that in verse 13, and be turned over to the desire of his foes. And what is the proof that David finds? How does David deal with this tension point of not knowing whether God is there or not? What is the proof that God is there? The proof is this, that he will see his face, that he will be in his presence. The greatest solution, loved ones, to our fears is ultimately the presence of God. This is why David repeats this theme throughout the psalm. It's your face, Lord, that I seek. Um, I seek you in the temple. I want to be in your presence. I want to be near you. Because when you are in that presence of God, when you're in that close bind with the Father, you, you realize all those fears need not to exist, that all is well with your soul. Let me illustrate this just Briefly, illustrations always crumble under pressure, but I'll try my best with this one. Take, for example, my family. If my wife and I were away from home and the house was lit on fire, my kids were at home, all five of them. And we get a distress call from our children that the house is on fire. What if we just said to them, you'll be okay, just get out of the house, as the house is in flames, and leave it at that. If you get out of the house, you'll be safe. And so thankfully, they, all the kids get out of the house, but what if we just left it at that? Would that completely assuage, deal with their, their fears? And the fear that mounted up in their life because of the, the fire? No. As parents, we would realize that the for, most important thing for us to do right now is get back to be with our children, to stop the dinner wherever we are and turn on that car and drive home as quickly as we can. And that when we are holding our children after this fire, that the anxiety and the fear will slowly dissipate. Why? Because they are in our presence. There's safety there. I tell you this morning, that is exactly the same story that we find Exactly the same story. It is the story that we find in Scripture. For the Old Testament believer, going to the temple was drawing near to God's presence. That's what David wanted. It was seeing God's presence in the worship, in the songs, in the sacrifices, in the law that was read at that time in history. And then also in the Shekinah glory that went atop of the temple in the Holy of Holies, the great cloud that covered the Holy of Holies. This was the presence of God was there. And there was great safety and great security and comfort knowing that God was present with his people. But the picture is that God wanted to come become more present with his people. And for that to happen, Christ had to come. So important is this reality of Christ being present with his people to deal with our fears and our anxieties that he is called Emmanuel. God with us. And we should not be surprised then 
to hear these words repeated from the mouth of Jesus. I think Jesus said these words more often than he said hello or shalom to people when he walked on the earth. He would often say, do not be afraid. And his presence would calm their fears. Why? Because Almighty God was standing right beside them. He had power over the waters. He had power over creation. He had power over their lives. And he would come to them and say, do not be afraid. See, this is the whole gospel message for us. For all of God's children, Christ ultimately gave his life to ensure that we'll always be in the presence of his Father and so that all of our fears can be dissipated, can leave, can disappear. We do not need to be afraid. He brings us back into the presence of his Father through his death so that we can have this perfect union, union again where there is no sin and no fear and anxiety. And even before Jesus left, he had to assure his people, I will still be with you. The Holy Spirit will come. My spirit will be with you. Do not be afraid. So beautiful that the scripture ends in this way. He says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Psalm, Revelation 21, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. I wonder if you could imagine any fear any anxiety that will plague that place called heaven when you're in the presence of Almighty God. There is none. But we're just going to close now with the goodness of the Lord. There's confidence in his power. There's confidence in his, um, his work as, as, a, um, as one who's there in our crisis. But there's also confidence in his goodness. David doesn't end the psalm with the dark night of the soul. He ends this psalm with understanding that the Lord is good. In verse 27, verse 13, it says, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And I wonder this morning if you have seen the goodness of the Lord in your faith life. David saw the goodness of the Lord as God protected his family, restored his kingdom, promised him an everlasting kingdom, he saw so much goodness, he saw it in the forgiveness of sins, and he was anticipating the day where he would ultimately walk on the new earth and see God's goodness forever. What about you? Have you experienced the goodness of the Lord? And how, and how has that helped? I met a young man recently who struggled deeply in his life so deeply that he took refuge, as everyone does, in something. But he took refuge in drugs. Then he turned to alcohol. Then he found porn. Then he used Tinder. And his life was spiraling out of control. He was clinging onto these things for refuge. And then there was suicidal ideation that began to mount. And God, as it were, snatched him out of the fire. He opened one day the internet, not to look at porn, 
but to listen to a message. His heart was so unraveled. And a preacher was preaching on about the cross of Christ. And as he was listening, he realized that wherever he had gone, the feet of his Savior did not go there, but they were bruised, they were, they were nailed to the tree. His blood poured out for, his, for the places that he went. That whatever he touched, the hands of Christ bled for those sins as well. And he had touched so many things that he regretted. His thoughts and his mind went to the things that were not proper and Christ did not but his head was covered with thorns and blood was pierced from his head the skull of our savior for the sins of our mind and the sins of our hearts this is just a picture but when he realized in all of this that Christ's hands and feet and head and body in total was was poured his blood was poured out as a complete sacrifice for him that his fear of judgment of death His fear of the consequences of his past wrongs was replaced by hope and confidence in his Savior. And he just took so much delight in that. He said, I experienced the goodness of the Lord. He's turned away from porn and Tinder and he's turned away from alcoholism and drug abuse. He has turned to Christ and he cannot stop talking about what God has done for him. Because he has tasted the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. He fears not death. It's the goodness of God that comes to us this morning in Christ who is the conquering king who has vanquished death and Satan on the cross. And I ask you this morning, do you believe that? It's the goodness of God that the cross-bearing priest bore your deepest shame and guilt and bore the penalty that is owing you on that cross so that you will not have to fear the judgment seat of Christ or of God. Do you believe that? It's the goodness of God that we hear these words from the lips of Jesus. Do not fear. I am with you. I am your Emmanuel. I will never leave you or forsake you. Loved ones, do you believe that? It's the goodness of the Lord that you will see in the land of the living on account of Christ's completed work on the cross and that you receive by faith. Do you believe that? David said, even in the shadows, I believe in the goodness of, the God, of God. He knew that just as God has been the refuge of his forefathers, he was his refuge as well. And therefore he waits for him. That's where we end. He waits for him. That means to look forward to something with so much confidence that you know it's going to come. He waits for him. And that goodness that he's waiting for is the goodness that we have received in Christ. And so hear these words this morning as a comfort for you as you face your fears and anxiety. He says, wait on the Lord. Expect him. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. And as you do, you need not be a slave to fear, for God is your refuge. Amen.